Well, good morning, church. Our scripture reading is going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. So if you want to follow along, kids, just hang tight for a second. We're going to read the Bible together, just a few verses, and then we will cut you loose. Hebrews chapter 11. Lots of good stories, reminders in Hebrews 11. Ron, Mr. Ron is our reader today. He's waving at you, he's waving at you. <coughs> How are you this morning? All right. What verse are you starting in, sir? 8 through 12. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Follow along. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. And when she was, when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many, as the stars in the sky in multitude, innumerable, innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. Amen. King's kids, second grade on down, you may be dismissed to junior church. You're free. Make a run for it. See you later. See you soon. Awesome, awesome. Has my baptismal victim made it back out yet? Is she still? All right, just checking. I almost lost her in there and make sure I didn't scar her. I, I sprung a leak too in there, so. Excitement. Uh, thank you for coming today. Uh, to a lot of family and visitors and friends. We're glad to have you. We are... Um, Y'all, everybody's going to roll their eyes. We're still introducing the idea of wisdom right now. And uh, my understanding of wisdom starts in Genesis chapter 1. So it's going to be a while before we get to Proverbs, you know what I mean? Uh, but we're, we're, t we're going by leaps and bounds. Huh? My mission is to help you see here in Hebrews 11 in our scripture reading a life of faith. Another way to say that Abraham lived by faith or that anybody lives by faith is to say they lived by God's wisdom. And there are a lot of areas in the Bible that make that the emphasis, living by God's word, uh, letting his word dwell in your heart, letting his word be your guide and your shepherd, letting his word bring you to, to conviction and bring you to repentance. So the whole idea of wisdom is tapping into, here's the key, not God's good ideas, but wisdom is being presented as God's very presence. If you will live in the presence of God, he will impart to you his wisdom. In the life of Abraham, we see he's waiting. He's obeying, he has faith, but he's waiting. So that's where we're headed today. A couple of review slides uh, first slide is humans are to work, multiply, and rule to spread God's presence. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve, before there is sin, there is work, so you having to go to work is not a result of the curse. 
It's not a result of the fall of humanity, nor is it going to go away when we spend eternal life with God in heaven. He has jobs for us to do, responsibilities. Work, multiply, rule is, is the, the summary statement for humanity. We are to work, multiply, rule in order, but it's not, that's not the end game. You don't just live your life. It's in order that humans, as they work, multiply, and rule in God's presence, would spread God's presence over the whole earth making his image in them spread to the whole earth. That's what makes us unique. We are in, made, created in God's image. And God is not just determined to show up everywhere. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. But he wants his manifest presence to come out through us. That's what we are made for, to connect with him and to take his presence into the whole earth. I'm phrasing that as God's wise plan. Last week, I made a misstep. Can you believe I made a mistake? Oh, I got one person going, no, I can't believe. Everybody else was like, oh yeah, we're tracking with you. Uh, go to the next slide. We talked about the wrong fear of God. And I want to clarify the proper fear of God. In my zeal for too much parallelism, uh, I copied and pasted from the wrong fear to the proper fear, and I should have made a change. The proper fear of God, it does make you tremble. Watch all the prophets when they are in God's presence. They tremble. And we fear, not we don't fear punishment. There's no condemnation to those who by faith are in Christ. But we do need to fear consequences. There will be consequences for our sin. Punishment, wrath, no. Removed in the blood of Christ. But does God still let things play out sometimes and we have to suffer for our consequences? Absolutely. But we're not, we're not here's the key, we're not afraid of God. In, even when we sin, the proper fear of God runs to God for help and assistance. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve fear God and hide. That's the improper response. It's wrong. We need to understand our Union with Jesus Christ means even when we do wrong, we, even when we are guilty, we run to God. That's the proper response. We run to God, not away from God. And we're gonna, I'm going to summarize a few things before we end up looking at Abraham and reading from Genesis chapter 12. But I want, you to, I want you to see the flow of human history. I want you to understand uh, the title of this lesson is Following Wisdom's Trail from Adam to Abraham. And that's not a huge leap, even in your Bible. It doesn't take but a few minutes to, to go from Adam to Abraham, to go from Genesis 4 to Genesis 12. A lot happens in that span of time. A lot of human history passes. But the point is not for the Bible to give us a summer, or not to give us the specifics of human history, as much as to reveal God's hand, God's heart, God's purpose in human history. History is revealing to us what kind of God we have. That's its primary purpose. Secondary purpose, it shows us what kind of people we are. Remember, when you read your Bible, don't let your first thought go to, how does this help me? No, 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 no. Your first thought needs to go to 
What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about Jesus? What does this show me about God's presence in the world and then in my life? From, from Adam to Abraham. Genesis 1 and 2. It's the work, multiply, rule. That is God's plan to extend His presence. Write this down. That plan is to extend God's presence. Not just make much of humans, but for humans to make much of God over the whole earth. Through humans who are made in His image. His plan is to use us. Sometimes that plan doesn't make sense. I'm tracking with you. Why? Because he wanted to, and he's going to make it work. But we keep messing things up. He knows that. Genesis chapter 4 shows that Genesis chapter 3, the sin between Adam and Eve, was not a marriage dilemma. Because in Genesis 4, brother murders brother. Be careful we don't go to Adam and Eve to give us the blueprint or the understanding for how men relate to women. That's not what it's there for. We're going to have to go to other places in the Bible to understand that. Because the very next story, God shows us that the very same antagonism or running away from God or ignoring God's presence that caused Adam and Eve to have marital problems, Cain is fleeing from God's presence and not doing what God said to do, and it leads to murder that's the problem so fast forward God starts over in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah <clears throat> hooray Noah maybe he's the new Adam maybe he's the promised seed of Genesis 3:15, and God will start over with him and he'll crush the head of that that serpent who deceived humanity yay Noah bonk Personal moral failure, family moral failure, he's not the one. And the story goes on. Genesis chapter 11. All of humanity has a bright idea. Let us build a tower so we're not scattered. You're supposed to scatter. Let us build a tower to make a, a name for ourselves. You're already special in all of creation. You've got to make more of this. Let us build a tower so we can be like God. <sighs> Have you already forgotten? You already are like God. Stop grasping, taking, scheming to be more than God intends for you to be and trying to make more of your life than God intends for it to be. That is the recipe for disaster, and it is the formula of all of humanity's corrupt motivations. When we desire to be like God in any way, shape, or form, if you make a decision, if you make a decision without relying upon God's guidance, counseling, wisdom, His Word, and His people, you are revealing the corruptness of your own heart. And you're thinking you can, you've got this. Well, everybody's got it until we don't. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 12. God's presence 
and Eden blessings are given to Abraham. Write down the word Eden and turn to Genesis 12. I want to read just the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then I'm going to pray. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, we come to you this morning as we look at the life of Abraham and as we try to understand what it means to live a life of wisdom, a life in your presence, as we try to understand who you are. Open our hearts. Change our minds. Convict our conscience. We need Jesus to shine brightly as our only hope of ever getting life straight. We need Jesus to be not just a good option, but we need him to be our very best desire, pursuit, and longing of our hearts. God, we need, our, we need your help so that we don't continue the sins of the past. Change us. Please set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a very important uh, passage in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12 because it shows that God is changing the way He's doing things. Previously, He's just uh, directly involving Himself with all of humanity. And He changes the way He's doing that now. Not that He's giving up. But in changing the way he speaks to people throughout history, he's showing us that no matter how he speaks to us, we always rebel. So he doesn't do the same thing over and over again, nor does he always do the same miracles over and over again. They're an example to show us who he is, how creative he is, how persistent he is, how loving he is, how gracious he is. This is not about Abraham. You got that? This is God. I will make of you a great nation. That's a new plan. I will bless you and make your name great. And it is. It is remembered. So that, here's the key, you will be a blessing. I like that. God's not blessing Abraham just to make much of him. He's going to turn it around. So then Abraham will be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, God will curse them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Don't fight for yourself and in verse 3 and you Abraham all the families of the earth shall be blessed that's a continuation a very specific continuation of God's promise to Eve in Genesis 3 that through her a seed would come who would bless the whole earth and basically free us from captivity to being deceived by Satan and then choosing what is against God And the story goes on. The rest of Genesis 12 has some interesting thoughts. 
Abraham obeys God. He comes into the land of Canaan. He, he sets up his tent near this oak tree, the oak of Morah. The Lord appears to him. God makes his presence known. Abraham builds an altar. His name is still Abram, so forgive me if I say Abraham. I'm just fast-forwarding in the story a little bit. Sometimes I'll even call him Abe. Abe, Abram, Abraham. Same guy. Life changes. Uh, but, but all these things start happening. He, he, he sets up shop under a sacred tree. It becomes where he, the Lord appears to him. He builds an altar. He moves on. He builds another altar. And later on in chapter 12, uh, Abram and his wife move to Egypt to get away from a famine. It gets them into hot water because God said God did not tell them to do that. Abraham has to lie about his wife. There's confrontation. He doesn't represent God well. Doesn't go so smoothly, but God blesses him, protects him anyway. In Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and his nephew, Lot, separate. And he, Abraham makes this weird decision where they're standing, they're looking at all the land that God has promised to give him, and then all this other land. Abram says to Lot, choose which way you want to go and I'll go the other way. Like, dude, God said he's given you that side. Just, you're the older man, you're the wiser man. Just choose it. You think it's good, take it for yourself. God already said you could have it. He doesn't. Hands off. He lets Lot choose. Lot goes the other way. Right after that, God comes to Abraham in Genesis 13 and he reaffirms all those promises again. Good job. So what does Abraham do? He sets up his tent under an oak tree, turning it into a sacred tree, builds an altar, worships in the presence of God. Genesis chapter 14. Grab your outline. Four kings from the east come and defeat five kings that live around Abraham. It's a familiar story. Lot is taken captive by those four kings. Abraham arms the servants in his household, over 300 of them. They travel north. They defeat the four armies. Abraham doesn't keep all the booty and all the goodness and all the people. He returns the captives. He gets blessed by this mysterious Melchizedek figure. That's a whole other sermon and a half. And write this down. He becomes the man. The man of the region. You're going to see this later on in different chapters of the Abraham story where the kings of the area come make covenants with him. And they want to be on his good side. Uh, this is why. But what is going on behind the scenes? This is the Eden blessing. The Genesis 12 blessing of Follow me, go to this land, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. This is just part of it. As Abraham walks with God, God makes things work out. It's how it happens. The Eden blessing is both personal and universal. He says, I will bless you. Abraham is flourishing in the land. And I will bless other people. Because of his flourishing, he's able to arm his family, household, and deliver hundreds and hundreds of people. With God's help, of course. It's pretty amazing. 
What's going on behind the scenes? The Eden blessing. The Eden blessing is playing out. If you walk with God, if you work for God, if you rule and reign properly for God, you will have the good life. Ooh. That's a good message. I want the good life. Isn't this what Americans live for? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I want the good life. Um, just as soon as you're done writing it, just cross out the good life, please. Because that is not what we're supposed to be. The takeaway, I want to be like Abraham. If we come to this story and we look for ourselves first, we will find ourselves every time and we will find what we want. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not if you will walk with God, if you will work for God, if you will rule with God properly, everything in your life is going to become prosperous. You're gonna, all of your needs are going to met. Everybody around you is going to be blessed in your presence. You'll make a great name. You'll make a, you make a great name for yourself? You mean you're going to... Creeping in there becomes the tendency. Go to the next slide. This is a story about a God life, a God-centered life. A God-focused life. These things happen to Abraham because he has God. And this is not a blueprint for how you should live your life. This is a story showing how God has showed up in one guy's life to change the course of human history. Because God is going to show up in some other people's lives and they are going to be arrested and they are going to be tortured and they are going to die. Balance those out. Okay? When we get into the wisdom books, Job is going to stand up and have a lot to say. <clears throat> really? I'm walking with God. I'm working for God. I'm ruling for God. Where's my good life? I had it. I lost it. All of his friends are going to say what? You're a sinner. And he's going to maintain his integrity. In the end of the book, God doesn't answer his questions, but he has God. He has God. And it changes everything. That's what's happening with Abraham. He's slowly expanding God's presence in his life. And the Eden blessing is making even the Canaanites respect him. All is well. Yes. So 14 is a pretty cool victory story. But then in Genesis 15, God has to remind Abraham. I'm the one doing the multiplying here. Abraham has no kids. He and his wife, Sarah, are barren. They're unable to have kids for some reason. I thought work, multiply, rule, having a seed who's going to... What about these promises you made me to have all these descendants, a nation of people from me? God says, I'm doing that part. Well, sweet. Abraham seems to be on a great path. If he keeps things up, everything will be hunky-dory. The Eden blessing will be known, all is well. And the very next story, Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah step away from God's presence. Turn to Genesis 16. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Servant is a very pretty word, but it means slave. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Hey, 
she placed the blame where it should have been. It is God who's doing this. Go into my slave, my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Listen to the voice of his wife is only used in one other story. This is a direct connection back to Adam and Eve's fall in Genesis 3. This is why we're jumping from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12 and Abram's whole life. Because he personally is going to live out what it looks like to sometimes walk with God and to sometimes grasp and take what you want. And it becomes a mess. It becomes a mess. Adam and Eve story is like this one big incident and how it plays out in human history. And then it's replayed with Abraham to show that there, it's a series of choices. It's a series of life choices. That's true of me too. So we're going to learn a lot from these choices. They step away from God's presence. Oh. And the Bible uses imagery, words, and phrases from this chapter that tie us directly to Genesis 3. Takes Hagar, she gives to her husband, and then the results are the same theme, shame and guilt and division between each other. She's upset, they argue, they kick Hagar out. Interesting part of the story, um, they kick Hagar out, so they're at a, uh, Abraham and Sarah are living outside of God's presence at this moment in time. And God shows up and is present with Hagar and her sorrow. God hasn't stopped showing up. His presence is always available to those who need him. To those who are proud and stubborn and push him away. He hides himself. But he still sees and he always knows. He's close to the broken hearted. Just a little nugget I like from her life. Next slide. We all choose self-life. And when we choose self-life, we are grasping for what we think is good and bad on our own terms. You talk about pride. When you think you know the good and you don't consult with God, God's word, God's people, and you don't open your eyes to the circumstances right in front of you, you are going to make a bad decision. How many times do we think something is good and it turns out to be bad? That's our limited human perspective. We need, we need wisdom from a multitude of counselors. That's why we have church. That's why we have church families. That's why we need to have small groups of people we are accountable to, that we fellowship with, that we do life with. Because those decisions come up and we learn. The self-life, however instead of the God life, is grasping for good on our own terms. And it destroys communion with other people, but also with God. It is the formula of death, self-life. So Genesis 15, everything is going good. Genesis 16, they choose to walk away. It creates a whole new series of terrible things going on. Fast forward to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Oh, great!
wait, what? You see, God eventually shows up. The backdrop to Genesis 22 is that Isaac is born after a really long wait. A really long wait. Have you ever really waited a long time for something? Saved up for it. Made payments on it. Old school, it was on layaway. New school. He just got a text that is paid in full. There's just not as much satisfaction there. I don't know what's happening. but uh, Have you ever spent a long time paying for something and then it's paid for and then you get it, waiting for something? You started your Christmas list on, you know, December 26th. You waited a long time and then it comes. How do you feel when you finally get what you've wanted, what you've dreamed of, what you've been planning for, you've been thinking about, mulling it over, it, it, coveting it? That, that And Genesis 22 opens with, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Life is sweet. Life is good. The blessings are playing out. I've worked. I've ruled. You've multiplied. We'll start with one, but it'll get better. If God can bring one from zero... He can bring a million from one. So don't worry about the math. It's not a God problem. Verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. God knows he loves him. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Could you say that again, please? That's probably what you would say at work, right? We're going to lean into that next week. Um, but I just want you to feel the weight this week. Feel the weight of God always and forever able to put his finger on whatever your biggest problem is. And good things can become bad things. God sees it when you don't see it. He knows it when you don't know it. Live life in his presence with his people, following his word, and you'll live the greatest good life there is because it's a God life. It's a life that takes your, your eyes and your heart away from the things of the world, away from even good things, and puts them on the greatest thing. Living in God's presence will bring you the most satisfaction. Living in God's presence will bring you the most comfort, will bring you the most peace, will make your life the most simple, clear, enjoyable, empowered that's the christian life it is god it is life with christ the christian life is about 
living in God's presence. And through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have a new and living way. The book of Hebrews talks about this over and over again. He has opened the door, flung it wide open. We do not need to go through priests. We do not need to go through good works. We do not need to go through sacrifices. There is no stair step. There is Jesus giving you the boost that you need, saying, come to me. Bear my yoke. Yoke up with me. Heavy burden, wearied, sick, hurting, I will give you rest. He's our living water. He's the bread of life. He's the, the, the door. He's the good shepherd. He's everything. Or is he? Is there an Isaac between you and God? Even if you're living the Christian life really well, there's something. There's somebody, there's some hope, there's some dream, there's some plan, there's some pride. And here comes God. That's going to be next week. So let me wrap this up. Got a list of words there and theme words. Um, this wisdom journey has taken us from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12 and Abraham's life. He, <laughs> man, he's... He's finding sacred trees. He's going into high places. He's worshiping. God is appearing. He has God's presence. And this, this pattern is developing of seeing, desiring, coveting, and then taking. Write down the word taking. Taking, which is grasping. And after you take things you shouldn't have, and they may not be bad things, but you take them out of turn. You take them before God wants you to have them. It brings shame. It brings guilt. And it brings division. First, on this realm brings division between us and the very people we think we love the most. We end up hurting the most. The very people we think have our best intentions, they have their own intentions. This is part of human life. Why do we have problems? Because we're just like Adam and Eve. And now, we're just like Abraham and Sarah. And there are consequences that come. And those consequences hurt. Nevertheless, God's long-standing plan are Eden blessings for everyone. If we will work, multiply, and rule. Work, multiply, and rule. Work, multiply, and rule your own life. Would you please get out of other people's business? Live your own life. Work, multiply, rule properly. Follow God, honor God, seek His presence in your little garden. Pull out your own weeds before, before you bring a weed whacker across the neighbor's fence. That's another way of saying remove the speck from your own eye before you try to remove the log from somebody else's eye. Work. Flourish in the presence of God and God's presence will grow in your life. And then you will have a greater impact and a greater influence. And it's going to change you. God wants to change you. He's headed that way. And these same words, phrases, and themes are going to come up in Proverbs. They're going to come up in Job's life. They're going to come up uh, in Ecclesiastes. They're going to come up even in the Song of Songs. These, these are the themes that start in Genesis and are going to be the major themes. It's all wisdom literature. It's all pointing you to the presence of God. 
And there are stories in here that show you what it looks like to live in God's presence. And there are stories in here to show you what it looks like when you run from God's presence. What is the wisest life you could live? A life with God, with God as your singular focus. And so, these same truths, Jesus preaches this stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Those same themes start coming out of Jesus' mouth. That should be, you should be lighting up with excitement when Jesus opens his mouth. And isn't that what the people do? They're like beside themselves. Like he's speaking to the same things that God has always spoken of. Yeah, that's why he's not like the other rabbis. He's not just orating. He's not just telling people what he knows. He's speaking on the, t- the themes and topics of all of Scripture, of, all, of the life of knowing God. And here's the catch. Jesus does know God. <laughs> He's not talking about secondhand experience. He is coming with the very presence of God active in his own life. And it's beautiful. So all of life is not about serving God. Life is not about being successful, uh, Life is not about putting your family first. Life is about learning where God's presence is and joining Him and inviting Him in and seeking Him and waiting for Him, pleading for Him, weeping, opening yourself up to the point where you say, God, without your presence in my life, I do not want to live anymore. That's a prayer of desperation. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the publican's prayer. That's the simple prayer. That's the open heart prayer. Not the heart that has all these hidden chambers and secrets and plans. I want to do this. I want to go here. I want to, I want to, I want to. That's the voice of a child. Where is the presence of God in your life right now? Where is the presence of God showing up in your life right now? The goal is not to just see Him at work. The goal is for Him to work here on us. And so where we need Him to show up is in our own lives. Don't miss the fact in this in Abraham's story, I encourage you to sit down and read chunks, four, five, six, ten chapters at a time on uh, some of these longer narratives like Abraham's life, and you'll start to see these patterns developing. Uh, he does well, he sins. He does well, he sins. He sh- God shows up, God shows up, God shows up. He worships, he worships, he worships. He falls. God comes to him anyway. Don't miss the fact that God is extremely patient with this guy and extremely kind with this couple. And God repeats himself. God covers their mistakes. God even helps the people they wronged. And we have no record of Abraham ever apologizing to Hagar. Nobody apologizes to slaves. And yet, there's enough grace that God is seeing over her life and her son. And God continues to give Abraham more chances and more chances. That's good. 
It tells me God is patient. It tells me God is kind. And God never gives up. God repeats his covenant to Abraham over and over again. God is completely committed to Abraham and Sarah. Does this sound like a God you can trust? I know I can't trust myself. Abraham is learning to not trust himself. And next week he's going to prove to God that he doesn't even trust Abraham. That Abraham doesn't trust Abraham. Abraham does not trust Abraham. That is your biggest need, and that will give you your biggest breakthrough. When you come before God empty-handed, say, I can't do this. I need you. We need God's patience. We need God's grace. We need God's purpose to be revealed to us. We need, we need some meaning in life that goes beyond this life. I'm telling you, church, seek God. Earnestly look into your own hearts. Get alone with God this week. And alone, I mean alone. Where nobody else can reach you or interrupt God. It should involve some tears. It should involve some confession and repentance. You should do it with your Bible open. Go to the book of Psalms when you're alone. Turn to Psalm 50, 51, 23, 104. You can practically just, I just, just open to Psalms. Read it, pray it, make that your prayer. I don't know what to say. I've run out of things to say. Shut your holy mouth. Let him speak to you. Prayer is not just about, I got to give God my list. You've got to give God your heart. That's where the real transformation comes. And you have to hit rock bottom sometimes. And you have to lose people sometimes. And you have to definitely let go of yourself. Surrender. What will God say to you? Pretty much the same thing he says to everybody when they start, start doing that. Trust me. Wait for me and sit in my presence. That's what God says. Shh. You ever been riled up and somebody had the gall, the nerve to look at you and just go, shh. No, I'm riled up for a reason. I'm going to let everybody know what that reason is. My hamburger's cold. My drink is wrong. My order. My blah, 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 blah. I've got a right. You, yeah, you can grasp and take that right all day long. You can even do that with God. Get alone with God this week. Trust Him. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Stand with me and let's pray. Close your eyes. Open your heart for just a minute. Why does God allow us to get sick? Why does God allow us to lose people? Why does God allow us to lose the ability to play sports, the ability to read? Why does God remove from us even the ability to be with people? Why do I have to be alone? Why do I suffer? Why is there suffering and pain? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to remind you 
at all the pain in this world is a constant reminder that you can have everything taken away from you. Therefore, you need to have one passion. And that is God and His presence, which can never be taken away. I'm not exaggerating when I say everything else in life after God is secondary. That is the life of freedom and the life of ease that we are looking for. So don't seek freedom and don't seek ease. Pray to God right now. Ask Him for help. God, we come to you as a people who don't seek you enough. We don't seek you long enough. We don't sit still long enough. We don't give you our days off. We don't even give you all of Sundays. We don't give you our vacation days. We don't give you our lives. Change our hearts, God. Give us a greater desire to at least want you. Even if we don't know what that will look like or where that will lead, change our hearts that we would be willing to want you more. Meet us as we seek for you. And when you don't show up, remind us that we need to wait longer. That we need to be quieter. And that we need to cut more things out of our lives. So there's more room for you to flourish. Not us. For your plans. Not ours. For your hopes. Not ours. So we come to you in the name of Jesus right now. We say we trust you, God. We're giving you our lives all over again because our faith is not a, our faith is not a singular decision. It doesn't end at baptism. Our faith, God, we want it to be every day. We want to die to the flesh every day. We want to choose you every day. We want to be immersed in your spirit every day. So help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sing with me, please. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, Jesus is pure, pure.
connection. Let me remind you, those of you who are staying for the membership lunch, uh, go grab your lunch and then come back. We'll meet down at the other end of the church. I've got uh, sweet tea, boring tea, and some cookies to go along with your lunch. Um, And then next week is our big cornhole tournament. After church next week, we're going to grill out some burgers, have a cornhole tournament, so we hope you'll stay with us. I got confirmation that we are uh, going to have a bounce house. And I also got confirmation that I don't need to buy desserts. Uh, Scoop's ice cream truck will be in the parking lot. Um, Half price. You pay half, church will pay half. I was going to do, we'll pay for everything, but then I thought of, I thought of some of our teens abusing that privileges. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, this will slow them down at least a little bit. Uh, So join us today for the membership class and join us next week for our family lunch together. Mark, with the benediction. This is from Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.